Well, good morning. If you'd open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, writes this by inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the churches of Galatia and, and also to us. In verse 9, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Pray with me briefly again. Father, we ask now that you would open your word up to us and open us up to your word, that we might behold the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Please bless us to that end in Jesus' name. Amen. In the, the fall of 1941, the, the great prime minister of Great Britain, the statesman Winston Churchill, he visited Harrow School, or Harrow School, or something like that. A, uh, a, it was a private boarding school, one that he had attended, and he was asked to address this, this group of, of young men. And, and, and by this time, Great Britain had been involved in World War II for quite some time. They had been... Uh, in this intense struggle with Nazi Germany, the, the Battle of Britain, the, the air war, was, was largely over by this time. And, and the people of, of England were, were just worn out. But there was another three to four years of war still to go. And, and legend has it that the great statesman walked slowly to the platform, looked at his audience of young men, and uttered these words, never, 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 never give up. And then he walked off the podium and sat down. Now, speech over. And some of you are thinking, I hope the preacher likes that kind of talk too, right? Uh, well, to hate to disappoint you, but, 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 but that's just legend. It's one of the great myths. He never actually delivered that kind of speech or that short of a speech, certainly not Winston Churchill. Um, but, but it did sum up so well what his audience needed to hear. The, the speech he actually gave was, was a bit different in terms of length but a lot of the same content. He, he actually said at one point in his talk to the school, he said, but for everyone, surely what we've gone through, this great battle of Britain, in this period, surely from this period of 10 months, this is the lesson. Never give in, never give in, never, never, never. In nothing, great or small, large or petty, Never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force. Never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. Now, both of those speeches are very stirring, right? The shortened, abbreviated, legendary version, and then the longer one, what I read was just a portion of it, 
why was there maybe something in you that, 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 that when I said he, he, he gave that speech and the speech was simply never, 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 never give up. And you thought, man, that, that might be one of the greatest speeches of all time. Not, not just because of the shortened length of it, but because of what it captured. And, and then even the longer version that, that I relayed to you, that it was probably a little stirring to you as, as you remember what Great Britain went through in, in the Battle of Britain, what they were up against, how important their role in that great conflict was. And then maybe you think, too, you think, ah, I, we, we all need messages like that, right? There, there's something in me that needs to be told, don't give up. Because I, I suspect that, that each one of us here has, has learned really that the best things in life are attained through work and persistence, or at least that's what we tell our kids all the time, right? That, that fruit br- bought with the wages of hard labor is sweeter than that which is just given to you. Perhaps more to the point, we've learned that there are many things in this world that are worth living for precisely because there are some things that are worth dying for. Now, Christians know this and and understand this. It's writ large throughout the scriptures. So much of the Christian life is really about understanding there is going to be short-term loss but that's okay because there's long-term gain. The Bible, after all, it describes us as, as pilgrims and refugees. We, we never settle in this world of today because we know that the world of tomorrow is our true home. We know that perseverance in doing good is important. We know that, right? But sometimes we need a reminder. Because the worst parts of us want to slow down. We want to take it easy. We want to go with the flow. We want to cash in the chips. We want to give up because we're tired. We've been studying the book of Galatians for the last three months now. And and as you know, the bulk of the letter is spent kind of rebuking the the churches of Galatia because they were entertaining a false gospel. And and Paul, with great urgency, wrote to them as though they're teetering on the edge saying, don't give up the gospel, right? Uh, Language of, uh, who has bewitched you? I am astonished. Uh, All of this, it it, it feels hard and, and difficult. But in this last chapter of Galatians, Paul turns to encouragement. And his message is simple. You, you started in the Spirit, so now continue with the Spirit. More to the point, you started by walking in the Spirit. Now keep on walking. So this morning for, for the next uh, 35 minutes or so, if you're here and maybe you're not a Christian I would ask you, while while we walk through these 10 verses, to ask yourself this, what are you investing your life in? Do you want your life to count? Is it possible, and maybe you feel this, that you're wasting your life by investing in things that aren't going to last, and in fact, they might not just not last, but they might be corrupting. 
do you, do you want to invest your life in things that will bring eternal life? For the rest of us here, Christians, I would ask you to consider something very different than that. Are you tired right now? Does it feel like you try to do the right thing, but it never seems to matter? That, that, that the world takes your best efforts and it chews them up and then spits them right back in your face. That the world makes a mockery of your faith, your effort, your devotion. Are you tired right now? Do you feel like giving up? If so, Consider these words from the Apostle Paul. Now, the, by, by way of context, to bring us up to speed, the letter to the Galatians is Paul's attempt, again, to rescue the Galatian churches from abandoning the gospel and embracing a religion of works of the Jewish law. And, and one of the arguments, if you remember, that he gave for why they shouldn't do that was very experiential. He reminded them, he said, hey, hey, you Galatians, you remember when you received the Spirit of God. And, and they, I'm sure they all were reading the letter saying, yeah, we do remember that. And he said, how did you get the Spirit? It was through faith in the gospel. It was not by works. It was not by works. And now he's going to encourage them to continue in that. In, in the, the last chapter, the last couple of weeks, we learned that to continue in faith is to walk by the Spirit, to live by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit. To walk by faith is to walk by the Spirit. And he reminds them that's how it all began. That's how they were saved. That's how they entered the church. And that's how you began. Christian, that's how you began. You, you began your life in Christ by believing the gospel. And so now Paul instructed the Galatians, and he instructs us too, to keep walking in the Spirit, keep living in the Spirit. And he reminds them, reminded them, and he reminds us, it will be evident that you are doing so by the fruit that the Spirit brings. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness self-control. In our passage today, he provides some instructions then on what it looks like to keep walking in the Spirit. How you began in the Spirit is how you continue in the Spirit. So what does it look like to continue in the Spirit? And it looks like this. His instruction is keep on walking. And, and you might think, okay, so walk in the Spirit. How am I supposed to do that? You might think, man, maybe it's like something mystical. It's got to be right? Maybe there's some mysterious Gnostic words that, 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 that I repeat, or maybe I should like abandon community, go off to a monastery or something like that, and then spend my time communing uninterrupted with the Spirit in some sort of mystical bliss. Given the command to keep in step with the Spirit, though his directions, as we'll see in these few verses, are surprisingly ordinary. And they all center on living in community. In our passage here, these 10 verses, Paul's going to give a series of, of commands, actually, do's and, and some don'ts that seem surprising given the fact that for the whole book so far, Paul has been saying, it is not by works, it is by faith. Believe, believe, believe. 
And there, there are a lot of people who look at these 10 verses and they say, man, this reminds me a lot of James because it's, it's like staccato-like commands. Do this, do this, do this, do this. Continuing with the Spirit, though, is about knowing and being known in community, providing for each other and persevering in doing those very things. That's what he tells people to do. Know the community and be known by the community. Give to the community and persevere in doing so. So let's, let's look at this. In, in, in verse one, it begins with, he's, he's basically saying for the first five verses, he's saying help and be helped while you can. While you can, help others and be helped by others. Look at, at verse one. He says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Paul's first command to the brothers. Brothers, he says. And, and of course, that's, that's a general term. He's really, he, he's communicating brothers and sisters, men and women, people of the, the, that household of faith, the, the, the churches of Galatia. Living by the Spirit is about living in community with accountability. And that should come as no surprise because that's exactly what Jesus intended and spoke about. In, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, Jesus had this to say about the church. Uh, <laughs> Jesus only talked about the, the ecclesia or, or the, the gathering, the assembly, the church a couple times. And this is one of the two times. He said, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Now that's Matthew chapter 18, and it comes in this portion of scripture that, that we refer to as church discipline. How many of you have a really positive thought the first time you hear about church discipline? Okay, I, <laughs> my, my son raises his hand <laughs> over there. Uh, well, we all should, we all should. Uh, the church discipline is actually a good thing, especially as we consider this first command, and it's basically what Paul is saying that we ought to do for, uh, for one another. It's the same exact thing. We, we usually think of church discipline has got this negative connotation to it, but that's really a misunderstanding because if you recall in Matthew chapter 18, right before Jesus talks about this church discipline stuff that begins with one person going to another person, he has just given the parable of the good shepherd who's willing to leave the 99 sheep to go find the one. The very next breath, he talks about if your brother sins against you, go and find him. And then if, if, if that brother it won't respond, then, then take another person and, and, and tell it to the church. And the goal the whole entire time is restoration and reconciliation, that, that this thing that we call church discipline is really Jesus' rescue mission to get wayward Christians, bring them back. Bring, and so that's what Paul is saying here, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Four quick observations about this, just this first verse. You're thinking, well, you were right about not preaching a really short sermon. Um, but four quick observations. One, we all need this accountability. We all need it. See, because the person who is caught in sin, this is not like some super sinner 
right? The, the, <laughs> you're caught in sin. That doesn't mean like, wow, you've been busted. No, it's like sin has overtaken you. Sin has overtaken you and, and you find yourself in sin. That could be really intentional or it could be just like collateral damage of living in this broken world that is just against us, right? To be caught in a transgression is, is to find yourself in sin. So we all need that because, as James said, we all stumble in many ways. So that's the first one. We all need accountability. We all need someone who's willing to come talk to us. Second, we all need to hold people accountable. Again, so if the sinner is not a super sinner, the Christian here is not a super Christian. He goes, oh, wait a second. It says, you who are spiritual. Well, what is that? It's someone who has the Holy Spirit. And that would be literally every Christian by definition, right? So we're not talking about super sinners. We're talking about ordinary Christians who sin. And we're not talking about super spiritual Christians. We're talking about ordinary Christians who are walking with the Spirit, which Paul has just gotten done telling everyone to do, right? That person who helps you, you who are spiritual, that's a person who has the Spirit. So we all need people in our lives who are willing to come alongside us and speak hard truths to us. And we all need to be the kind of people who are willing to go alongside of a brother or sister and say things that are a little difficult at times. Of course, this requires a few things. We need to walk by the Spirit. (laughs) We need to be in community. We need to be known. And we need to know others as well. It's going to take courage I don't know. <laughs> uh, I mean, how many of you, how many of you enjoy confrontation? I, I, I think if you raise your hand, that disqualifies you from being from doing it. Right? <laughs> no one likes confrontation. If you do, there's something wrong with you, right? Um, but we have to do it. It's it, it is important. What that means is that we need to be attentive to one another. We need to be, as it were, students of each other. And I'm not talking about like creepy stalking or anything like that. I'm just saying get to know people and pay attention to them. Um, one of the things that I would say if I, like if it was parenting, I, I would say, parents, be a student of your children. Now, I, that is, study them. Get to know what makes them tick. We should be doing the same thing in a non-creepy way here with, 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 with each other, Right? And then, and then finally, well, this is like the third one, I guess. Uh, the third, third observation on this. Accountability is to be gentle. Accountability is to be gentle. Kindness goes a long way, doesn't it? I think Mary Poppins said something about that. Uh, Jesus, uh, th- think about it this way. When, when Jesus was asked to describe himself, or, or when he chose to describe himself, how did he do it? What did he say about himself? I am Jesus, Lord of the universe. I am the only begotten of the Father. I'm be-. No, what did he say? Gentle and lowly. The Lord of the universe, the King of kings, when he described himself, he says, I am gentle and I am lowly of spirit. Right? And gentleness, then, it's no surprise, would be one of the fruit of the spirit. It's to be, it's to have a, a light and a delicate touch. It's the opposite of being heavy-handed, mean-spirited, or 
triumphant. Oh, caught you in sin. <laughs> right? No, nothing like that. Sin is heartbreaking. We don't rejoice in the sin of others. I got to tell you, when I first came here and, and I was meeting with the elders, what I was struck by the most, and this is what was so encouraging to me about GBC, is that the elders actually had, it appeared to me, the, the character that is described in the prerequisites for being elders in the scriptures. And, and so many churches go after other things. You know, what are you looking for in a senior pastor? And they, well, you've got to be good business sense, got to be visionary, got to be all sorts of things, none of which are listed actually in the scriptures. What is listed in the scriptures? Character, godliness. And, and I've seen that. So whenever I talk about Gresham Bible to people, I say, the people there are so kind. And I got to tell you how grateful I am for that. How grateful I am. Fourth thing, just quick observation on here, is that sin is infectious. We are to watch ourselves, Paul says. Watch ourselves, lest we too be tempted. Pride is crouching at the door. It seeks to destroy us. Fear and respect your own propensity to sin. Do what it takes to avoid sin. So if you're in a relationship with someone where you're willing to go to them, examine your heart, guard your heart, because pride is right there. Look at verse 2. Bear the burdens of others. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, verse 1 was very specific. Restore a wayward brother, right? Here, this is more general. Obviously, if we're restoring someone, if we're encouraging them to, to repent, if, if we're bringing them back into fellowship, then we are bearing their burdens. But bearing burdens would be far greater than just this, this call to, to help one another in, in, in restoring people. What kind of burdens do people carry as, as you look around here? Remember I said, so be a student of each other, right? So you can actually do this. Family struggles, heartbreak, economic issues, discouragement the responsibilities of caring for, for others. Remember Paul's words from, from the last chapter, chapter 5, verse 14. The whole law is fulfilled in one word, he said. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We're going to talk more about this in, in, in the latter part of the sermon, but again, recognize that community is very important to do this. You have to know one another. You have to be known by each other. We can't bear one another's burdens if we don't know what's going on in the lives of others. We can't by, be helped by others if we're not known by others. And again, more on this practically in a moment. Verse 3, though, is a very specific warning to us. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Now, earlier... Paul had warned that, that if we're to, we're to keep watch over ourselves, again, a very general command when we're restoring someone, now he gets specific. Be especially vigilant about pride, he says. And it almost sounds like Paul's a bit rude here. Oh, so you guys think you're something? Well, you ain't, right? You're nothing. You're nothing. So don't be thinking you're something. Fight pride by just dwelling on how nothing you actually are. Well, that's, that's a relative statement. It's not an absolute statement, right? Uh, but we are imago Dei, after all, right? Created in the image 
of God. We also, as Paul has told us all through this book, we are co-heirs with Jesus, adopted sons and daughters of the living God. That's something, right? That's something. So, and, it, and it's not nothing. So you're not nothing. But when he says that you're, you're nothing, then what does he mean? Well, I suppose a couple things we could think. One, relative to God, we're nothing. God is infinite, we're finite. God is holy, we're something short of that, right? God is omniscient, we, not so much. God is omnipotent, again, not so much on our side. Remember when we were going through Isaiah and I likened us to sea monkeys. And it didn't, do any of you remember that? No? Okay, so, and you're like, great, back to the sea monkeys thing. Again, yeah, we're actually more like sea monkeys than we are like God, right? There's a bigger gulf between us and God than there is between you and me and sea monkeys. Okay, that was the point, still stands, so in, in that regard, it's true. It's true that we're nothing in a relative sense. But I think more than that, we're to consider ourselves as nothing with regard to our needs relative to the needs of others. Paul, when he wrote to the church in Philippi, said this, do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, count, reckon, consider others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And of course, we can just follow the Lord Jesus Christ in this, can't we? Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And as with, as with so many sins, it's just impossible to grit your teeth and stop being proud. You can really only fight pride by cultivating the opposite virtue, humility. But that only gets you so far when I say that. So, so be humble, right? Okay, I'm going to be humble. How do you do it? Again, you can't just like decide I'm going to be humble. What do you do? Well, I could offer two things here. Part of increasing hum- in humility in your own life is to think rightly about who you are in comparison to God. But part of increasing humility in your own life is to consciously do humble tasks, serving others. Maybe you don't feel like that need of the person is more important than your own needs. That's okay. Just do the action and your attitude will follow. That happens a lot. I sound like I'm a parent talking to kids at this point, right? You've probably said that to your kids a lot. Right? But it's true. The reason we say it is because it's true. So if, if you want to grow in humility, then do humble tasks. Serve one another. However, humility is developed in us. It is imperative that we do so, Paul says, because one day we're going to stand before God. And that's what he says in verses 4 and 5. He says, but each, let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Now, if you're actually paying attention to what I'm saying here, that is really confusing. Did, didn't Paul just get done saying, bear one another's burdens? And he's saying, don't don't be proud, watch out for pride, but now you're talking about boasting on the last day? What, what, what is this? What's going on? Here's the deal. Pride is devastating, and Paul here warns us that we are going to have to answer for it one day, each and every one of us. And these, these two verses, again, they, they are confusing, but, but I think there's a clue in the future tense. 
the boasting that Paul is speaking about here takes place in the future. So it's therefore best understood to refer to future judgment. So it's not boasting today. He's not saying, you know, uh, just be humble so you can boast about how humble you are. That's not it. But one day you'll stand before God and Lord willing, because of what God has done in your life, you will actually be humble. That would be worth, ironically, boasting about. That is, you can stand before God and God will say, you are humble. And you will say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for that. See, the deal is, is, is that, that all Christians are going to face judgment. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 wrote this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Anybody ever listen to Petra back in the day and they sang that song about the Bema seat? Did y'all remember that song? This is the verse right here. I remember going through, I remember singing that song and thinking how great that song was and then looking in my Bible in a, an exhaustive concordance. I couldn't find Bema anywhere. It's not in there. Well, it's, it's, it's in the Greek. The, 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 the Bema seat or the Bematos is, is literally what it is. But it's where Christians stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and we're rewarded for our faithfulness, which is one of the great awesome things about being a follower of Jesus. Jesus empowers us and enables us to do these good works that he has prepared in advance for us to do, and then he rewards us for doing the things that he accomplished through us. Now, if that doesn't sound like an amazing deal, I don't know what does, but that's the reality. That is your destiny. That is your destiny. And, and Paul here is saying, I would not have you suffer loss. This is not a judgment of heaven or hell. This is a judgment of rewards. The wonderful thing is the reward, and I don't even know what it'll look like. The Bible uses the metaphor of crowns, maybe it's responsibilities, maybe it's greater capacities to praise or to know Jesus. I don't know what it's going to be. It'll just be good. It'll be great. The negative side, the loss of those things. The loss of those things. And Paul, very pastorally, would not see the Galatians suffer any kind of loss. He wanted what was eternally best for them. And so he says, you're going to have to stand before God and you're going to be bearing your own load. You know, well, I thought we were bearing each other's burdens right now. Yeah, right now we do. So while you can help each other and be helped so that one day when you stand before God and it's just you and what you have done, you'll be able to stand better. That's, I think, what he's getting at here. Move on. Verses 6 through 10. Help each other by giving, again, while you can. Help each other by giving while you can. And I got to tell you, like, this is super awkward for me because I've been here like three months and I get to preach to you now about how you should give to people who preach to you. Yeah, awkward laughter. Yeah, I've, I've, yeah. So here's the passage. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Paul is calling the Galatians, therefore all Christians, to be generous with those who share the word with them. Sharing all good things usually indicates generous giving, providing things that are necessary to live. And you guys do that. Okay, so that's all I'm going to say. I just encourage, encourage you, keep on doing what you're doing. 
keep on doing what you're doing. This church has been, I think, very, very generous. Um, but what I want to do is, is I'd like to highlight the reason that Paul gives, and he gives it emphatically. Look in verse 7. God's going to repay. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And so when, when Paul starts a sentence by don't be deceived, he's imploring his readers. It's a sincere warning where if you remain deceived, the cost is enormous. So what Paul says here, it's, it's not just good advice. It's urgent, urgent. It is absolutely necessary that you think rightly about this. And, and he lays the foundation by stating the obvious that we, but he states it because we often forget the obvious. God will not be mocked. Now, what does that have to do with giving and sowing and reaping and these sorts of things? What is that? Well, God is, God will not be mocked. God is not weightless. He's not sightless. He's not irrelevant. Now, you know those things, right? But how often do we live our lives as though God doesn't really matter? as though God is not really keeping score, that he's not really the sovereign creator of all. He doesn't really see what's going on, and he probably doesn't care. Now, it's strange because Paul is about to talk about giving and generosity, and he sets it up by reminding the Galatians about the glory and the weightiness of God. He will not be mocked. Why would he say that? He's telling them God is just. He cannot not be just. He sees everything. So everything matters. Certainly what you do with the treasure that he gives you and he will repay. He sees everything, what you give and what you don't give. And that's sowing and reaping here refers to giving. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 6, again Paul He says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And and, and we might think, all right, okay, great. We sat through five chapters of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, but now at the end, it's the old bait and switch. You got to give, and you got to give to the people who preach, right? That's how it is, right, Paul? He's now gone all televangelists on us. Hey, I could have stayed home and just watched the heresy channel. Right? I could have done that. I knew it. Okay, That's not what's going on here. L- let, me, let me give a couple reasons why. First, we know what Paul's been saying is this whole entire letter, right? You started in the Spirit, now continue in the Spirit. Giving is one of the spiritual gifts that Paul lists in, in other passages. And we, uh, I, I would argue that that list of fruit of the Spirit that we walked through last week is not an exhaustive list. It's an illustrative list. I, I would think that generosity is also a fruit of the Spirit as well. Okay, And so Paul here is encouraging giving because generosity is evidence that the church is continuing in the Spirit, that they have in fact been transformed by grace. And then the second reason why I don't think that Paul's gone all televangelist on them, we see in the next verses. Paul has their, not his, best interests in mind. He cares passionately about them. Look at verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So this explains why he said, 
God will not be mocked, right? What is for sure is that we all sow and we all reap. The only question is, to whom do we sow? To whom do we sow? Or to what do we sow? And Paul says it's going to be one of two, one of two things. It's an either or. You're either sowing to the spirit or you're sowing to the flesh. That is, you're either investing the treasures that you have to the spirit and in the spirit, or you are investing the treasures that you have to the flesh. It's an either or. There's no middle ground. Now, we might not think of it that way. We, we, when do I sow to the flesh? When do I sow to the spirit? We should understand that we're always doing one or the other. And it gets confusing because these things usually don't come with labels. <laughs> sometimes they do, or they might as well, right? It's even more confusing because sometimes the same activity can at first be something sown to the spirit, but if we do too much or if we do it for the wrong motive, it can become sowing to the flesh. Think about it. I, I would describe it this way. Um, I think it's, it's good and proper and, and like sowing to the flesh. If you invest in yourself for the purpose of like Thanksgiving and life and kingdom and that sort of thing, even like eating a meal with Thanksgiving, sustaining yourself, taking care of the body that God has given to you, that, that is a good thing but you do too much, it becomes gluttony, which is then sowing to the flesh. So the the categories can be a bit confusing. In our context here, to sow to the flesh is to use your worldly goods, your treasure, money, obviously, but time, probably the most precious commodity that we have, talents, that sort of thing. We we use them for our own advantage and in accord with our selfish desires. And remember, we've been talking a bit about the flesh here. It's that disposition in each one of us that craves the bad, rejects the good, that drives to rebellion, that rebellion that taints every fiber of who we are. We possess the flesh by virtue of being the offspring of Adam. It is the corruption of ourselves. It is exacerbated by our finiteness genetically passed on to us with all your parents' predispositions to sin in particular ways. It's nurtured through environment. We learn new ways of sinning, right? We get new appetites all the time. And it's fed through our habits. It is powerful, driving us with what feels like, the metaphor we've used the last two weeks, the gravitational force of the sun. It is a bear. And those who are not in Christ, the Bible describes as slaves to it, unable to overcome it and unable to please God. And again, if you're here this morning, you're not a Christian, you need to know that that's God's verdict on you. That's his description of you. You might not feel that way, but but that's God's word. You are a slave to sin. And the good news is, is that there is freedom in Christ through the gospel, the gospel that we preach here Sunday after Sunday, that Christ died for our sins in order that we might live. He took the penalty for our sins that we deserve. He rose again that we would follow him in life. And those who come to faith in Christ, those who repent of their sins and throw their 
life in with Jesus, believe in him, they are granted freedom from the flesh. But Christians, you all know that the flesh doesn't just disappear. The flesh doesn't disappear, which is why Paul talks about this over and over again. Christian, you have been liberated from slavery to the flesh, but you haven't gotten rid of it. It still seeks to master us. And Paul says that if you're not sowing to the spirit, then you're sowing to the flesh. You're feeding the flesh. And its inevitable harvest is corruption. How do we sow to the flesh? Again, by giving our treasures to it, to feed it, to nurture it, to foster its growth. And that makes no sense on analysis. We like to do it. But, but, but it would be like someone with, with cancer caring for, nurturing, and fostering the growth of a cancerous tumor that is seeking to destroy us. So what do you spend your time on? What, what appetites are you feeding? Are you investing your, in yourself to the point of indulgence or are you pouring yourself out for others? Do you use your personal time for prayer or pornography? Do you spend more time on social media or encouragement of others? On the other hand, sowing to the Spirit is another way of saying walk in the Spirit, keep, a, keep in step with the Spirit, be led by the Spirit. And if you sow to the Spirit, you produce the fruit of the Spirit. How do we sow to the Spirit? Well, same as before, we invest in the, tre- the treasures that we have, our time, our resources, our money, to the things of the Spirit, particularly the things of the community of the church, the community of the Spirit, which is the church. So I would encourage you all, continue to give to the ministry of GBC. Young people, especially if you're, if you're baptized members here, start giving. Start giving now. It doesn't get easier when you have more money. It actually gets harder. So start now. A whole lot easier to give up a percentage of minimum wage than it is to give up that, a percentage of a whole lot more money. You might not believe that, but I promise you it's true. Speaking from experience, I promise you that it's true. Give to the, and I'm not, now I'm talking to everybody, not just the young people. Give, give to the ministry, support the ministry of GBC by giving to the budget. Also, the, the, the Benevolence Fund is open again. That's a fund designated to help the, the people of GBC with practical needs like bills, food, housing, counseling. And, and, and I would also say this, that if you know of a need in the church, talk to Sarah over, raise your hand, wave real, <laughs> uh, talk to her. She's deacon of benevolence. Is that your official title? Something like that, right? Yeah. And so talk to her and, 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 and I get it. So like you have a need, you're probably not going to go talk to her. Say, hey, I have a need. Cut me a check, right? Probably not going to say that. Um, someone else can though. So again, we need to be students of each other. And so if you know that someone in the body is suffering or is in need of something, go talk. It doesn't have to be Sarah. It could be any of the elders, really any of the deacons, right? So, so do that. Give of your time, all that. Okay. Again, I just want to encourage you to, to keep on doing what you're doing. The, the future tense here will reap destruction points to eschatology and last judgment. Eternal life here is contrasted with corruption, suggesting both are judgment awards. And Paul would not have the Galatians forfeit future reward. He did not want that for them. So he pleaded with them, give. And it sounds, it sounds like, again, it sounds like a televangelist or something, right? Give, give to me, give to me. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying give. 
It's in your best interest. He, he says over and over in his letters, I, I, I have learned to be content. When I ask you to give, it's not, it's not for me. I'm just going to give everything that you give to me away anyway. I just want to see the fruit of the Spirit manifest in your life. And I want you to be able to boast on the day of judgment when you stand before Christ of your faithfulness. So he finishes this way. Do not give up in doing good. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And it's it's only right that Paul would end here. Keep on excelling in giving. Keep on excelling in serving. Look for opportunities to do good. Look for opportunities to give. Do good to all people, but prioritize the people of the household of faith. For us, prioritize doing good to each other here. And the Bible is full of admonitions to have a long-term perspective. And so much of the Christian life, as I said earlier, it's a, it's, we endure short-term loss for the sake of long-term gain. We, we do not believe the prosperity gospel, the health and wealth gospel, that, that, that if you come to Jesus, all of your problems disappear and you become wealthy and healthy and, and, and any lack of wealth or any lack of health is evidence of lack of faith. I think that is a doctrine that comes straight from the pit of hell. It is false, false, false. And Paul would say the exact same thing and then use language of cutting and that sort of thing like he'd been using earlier in this book. But the problem with the prosperity gospel is not their statement that God rewards. God does. It's the timing and the nature of the reward. The Bible reminds us that God is a rewarder and a giver of good things. He will do right. He will be just. He will not be mocked. God may very well bless you now in material ways for faithfulness, or he may not. He may not. What is certain is that the real reward comes later. It comes in due season, a particular time, the time of God's choosing. This reward is reserved for those who do not lose heart, who do not grow weary, who do not give up. So the Bible is full of all sorts of admonitions to this. Hebrews chapter 10, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your checkbook register, which we don't have anymore because of the internet, which I'm grateful for, but if we had a checkbook register, that would be like a roadmap a description of what your priorities are, right? Just like GBC's budget is a roadmap to our ministry strategy. So GBC, let me encourage you, persevere. Jesus knows that following him is not easy. It's a daily exercise in dying to self of taking up your cross and following him. That was Jesus's invitation right? And that part is hard. And standing for faithfulness in this world is frustrating. It feels hopeless, but please know that Christ sees you. He sees your faithfulness. He he sees your effort. He sees your heartbreak. He sees your tears, and God will not be your debtor. 
No labor in the Lord is ever in vain. He always sees. He always knows. And he is a rewarder of those who follow him. It's Father's Day. Fathers. I know you're used to it. So like this, I know I, I got to end. This is way too long, but I'll say this. I, I, I know fathers, you get this. Mother's Day sermons are always, moms, you guys are awesome. Father's Day sermons are, fathers, you stink. Get with it, right? That's how I do. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. There has, I will say this to you. There has probably not been a time in the history of the world where you, where we as fathers are so little appreciated. Our current culture is telling the whole world and you how dangerous you are, how unnecessary you are. And the constant messaging is that you, by simple virtue of just being a man, you spread everywhere the noxious poison of toxic masculinity And I know that that can drain your resolve and your purpose. It can make you wary and it can make you weary. So the words of Galatians 6, 9, and 10 are strangely appropriate and vital for you today. Do not grow weary of doing good. Your children need you to never, 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 never give up. Your wife needs you to never, 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 never give up. Stay faithful. You will not be rewarded by this culture for your efforts, but your children see you. Your wives see you. But all of that pales in comparison to this. The Lord sees you. He will enable you by His Spirit if you walk in the Spirit, to never tire of doing good. And it's hard. I get it. And it will no doubt even grow harder as the days go on. But Tom Hanks was right, right? It's the hard that makes it great. It's the hard that makes it great. And this is a great day to be faithful. So hang in there. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we, uh, we're, we're astounded that you're a rewarder of the things that you enable in us. And so we ask this, that you would enable our faithfulness, that you would enable us to persevere in doing good. Help us to live in community well. May the world see the way that we love each other and know that Jesus Christ lives, that you sent your son Jesus and he is the Lord of this church. Bless the world through that kind of blessing, we pray, in us. Amen.